I appreciate you guys. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we do thank you for another day that, Father, we can come to your house and uh, worship you. We pray, Father, that you would just meet with us here today, and we pray, Father, that you would uh, bless every part of the service. It should be with all the Sunday school teachers, Father's Day teacher classes this morning. We pray, Father, that you would just uh, give us a, a tentative mind and a soft heart, Father, that we might receive your word. Pray, Father, that you'd bless this offering, use it for your honor and glory, and that you'd bless our services uh, in the preaching hour. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Miss Martha. I appreciate that. Good morning, folks. How are we all doing? Everybody ready for this exciting weather we're supposed to have in here? You, you guys, you get, an, you get an inch of snow down here and the whole state comes to a halt. Pile-ups all over the place. Nobody knows how to drive. We get that much frost some mornings in Cleveland, Ohio, so we don't uh, concern ourselves too much about that. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. You guys have a real problem with me and my weather, but I just absolutely love it. I love the cold, the snow, the ice, all that kind of stuff. And, and some people ask me about why, why do you like that so much? Because it can kind of be miserable, particularly when you get older and, you know, shoveling the snow off the roof of your house sometimes ain't so fun and everything. But up in Ohio, it was always a good excuse for not doing anything. If there was, uh, if there was, all the businesses would close, you know, they'd be out there and, and, but people just stayed at home and I'd sit in front of my fireplace and read a good book and it was just a blessing to have that kind of weather. So, I don't know what kind of course, a golf course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is the that is the truth, and it's interesting. You'll see a guy go by in a four-wheel drive vehicle at 80 miles an hour, and I'm driving at 30, and uh, they'll be off the off the road shortly. You know, that's a that's a little bit of a problem. So, anyways, we'll see what happens. I think I think they changed the forecast a little bit. It may not be nearly as bad as uh, I would like it to be, and that you guys would hate it to be. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what Sharon was kind of saying about 4 o'clock today or something. So the Beast Feast is all done. I seen that on a text message or something yesterday. You're not going to have it tonight then, huh? Is, is that, the, that the deal? But we are still having church tonight. No. We're not having church tonight either. That'll be announced later. Oh, okay. All right. Disregard what I just said. Pastor will announce that. I better, I better not say anything else here. So, 
All righty. Well, we're going to uh, get moving along here. I thought I would read you something. Here, that song we just sang, too, more about Jesus. You always know more about Jesus, right? Um, if, if you had anybody ever in your life that was very influential on you besides Jesus, I hope he's been the most influential in your life. But uh, like my father was particularly influential person in my profession and all that kind of stuff. And then I've had other people uh, in my life that have been very influential. And some of those people I have known, well, I've known my dad, of course, for 61 years now, but other people I've known for 35, 40 years, and you still find out things about those people. And uh, so we've never personally met Jesus or anything. Of course, we have his word, we study about him, we look into it and everything, but I'm pretty certain it's impossible to know everything there is to know about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one of the guys in the book said if they were gonna write the books that did, you know, talked about everything he did, you couldn't even put it in the whole world. There's not enough room on the whole planet to have all the books that could be written about Jesus. So what a wonderful Savior that we have there. And uh, that stuff always brings questions to my mind about what is someone like that doing with somebody like me? What in the world, you, you know, why would God have anything to do with a wretch like me, right? We sing that song and everything. So I had another thing showed up in my text messaging this morning that I just thought would be an interesting thing to read, and I thought I'd start off uh, here with this this morning. So th this little thing is from Luke 6.16, and it says, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. His name's always got that word next to it, right? Because we want to make sure that we know who that fellow was and everything. Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor, Jesus chose Judas knowing how he would turn out and become a traitor. Jesus later told his disciples that he chose him or chose them, and he knew one of them was a devil. That's in John 6, 70. A man once asked a theologian, why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot to be a disciple? That's a good question, really. The teacher replied, I don't know, but I have an even harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? Boy, that's a thought sobering. That brings some questions to mind. Why did Jesus choose me? Why did Jesus choose me? This is a hard question, humbling to say the least. I think he chose Judas Iscariot because God always has a plan. He knew what Judas would do. Same with me. The immense need for a savior. I am one that needs grace, mercy, forgiveness, redemption. Fill in the blank. Whatever blank you have in your life, you can fill it in and God will take care of it. What a God I serve. His ways are not my ways. If so, we'd all be doomed. Yikes. Boy, I've thought some things about people in my life looking at them that if I was the one condemning people to hell, that's where they would be right now. And praise God that I'm not in charge of that mess. If so, we'd all be doomed. I don't know. Just some thoughts. Have a great day. That's the way he always ends these things. And then he has a little tagline at the end. May I always remember that the choices I make today affect more than me. Yeah, isn't that the truth? We have choices. You make choices all the time. Some of them are uh, lifelong. Some of them are eternal choices that we, uh, that we make here. So, 
Anyways, we'll open in prayer here and then we'll get uh, started with the review. Father, we thank you for the time that you've set aside here this morning. We ask that you'd be with the class here as we go through your word and study the elements we have in place for us here this morning. And then, Father, I just think about Tony here this morning. Um, tells me he's got some troubles with his hip and that replacement that he had and that the therapy is is uh, giving him some grief there and it's painful and Lord I just ask that you'd have a healing hand on him and that he'd take some of that pain away. We love you, thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we'll all keep Tony in mind on our prayer list. That prayer list thing, the way that's going now, it seems like it's working pretty good. We're still, we still have our little stumbling blocks on it but if you have a prayer request, get one of those little sheets Fill it out, and we'll make sure that it gets on the prayer sheet and it stays on there for 30 days. And then we kind of have a, a, a change of that thing to see if we have some, hopefully we have praise reports, and that's what gets people off of the prayer sheet. Or, uh, you know, other additions would be made to it or something along those, along those lines. So, Matthew 4.19, and he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Anybody got any great stories about fishing men here this past week? It's been a little cold out maybe to do ice fishing of men maybe or something. Maybe that's what we should have been doing. I had, um, I had one case this week. Haven't really done too much myself this week, but I think it was, um, it was near the, probably early on in the week, I guess. And um, I had a Panda Express order from my whole family. Go in there and get his Panda Express and bring it back. And so I ran into a young man over there, and he was serving up plates of rice and whatever, whatever stuff they have over there in that place. I actually like it, but mostly I have to look at the stuff and pick because I don't know the names of all of it and everything. And he was a very gracious young man. And he did a lot of work for me that day. And so I'm down at, the, down at the cash register getting ready to pay. And I had a track that I wanted to hand that young fella. And so I went down there and handed it. And he just flat out rejected that thing like you wouldn't believe. Just, nope, I don't want to know any. I don't have anything to do with that. I'm not interested. So that was the first experience I've had that down here in Texas so far, at least around the Bridgeport area and everything. So I have determined that that kid is a transplant from California. He's a liberal, and he's out here just to have a job in Panda Express. And so, anyway, I will visit with him again next time I go out there and get some more food from that place. And then I'll quit going to the restaurant if he rejects me this time. Just kidding. I would never do that. All right. Okay, here. Let's get on with this. Last week, we went through, and I just kind of recap here, we talked about the objection about people thinking about it later. They don't see the urgency for it. We talked about this little story about Tom Rainer's friend Ryan from the school he was in. That fellow just kind of knew all about the gospel and everything, but just he just was not willing to surrender his life. And there are people like that that you'll run into. There are people that know, sometimes they know, may know more about this Bible than we know about it, but they're just not willing to let... Uh, Jesus be the Lord of their life and to get away from the, the ways of this world. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the, we, talked about the, we talked about the brevity of our life here, and we, we mentioned about James 4.14, Where is ye know not what shall be on the morrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Three uncommon responses 
about this objection is we need to pray for these people. We need to pursue a relationship with them. That, that's easier said than done sometimes because of the condition that you meet the person. But if it's a coworker or something like that, particularly if it's a family member, you can have a relationship with those folks and not ever, ever, maybe ever say another word about Jesus. But because of your testimony that you have, uh, they may come around to, to seeing what's going on here. Uh, another objection we talked about, how can a loving God let bad things happen to people? And we talked about Tom Rainer's dad here. He died of cancer when he was just 20 and wondered how in the world would they, how in the world would they, uh, you know, would God take him from, from them? And, and then there's, there's uh, an issue about we've got to let hurting and questioning people know that we care about them. People need to see the love in Christ, the love of Christ in us before they'll consider accepting Jesus as their Savior. So that's a good question. Do people see the love of Christ in us? I'm pretty certain in this room people see it all the time and everything. But there's an, there's an aspect of, of that that might lead into a, a, a verbal consultation with those folks and actually tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what this is all about. At the end of the day, we need to show these people love and compassion. Another thing that brings this into question is how can a loving God send people to hell? And we talked there about first, or 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You can read also John 3.16. It shows how God really loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God gave his only begotten son. Maybe sometimes we could just give some of our time to somebody to actually have a, a conversation with them and tell them all about the, the Lord Jesus. Objection. Many ways to get to heaven. And we talked about the fact that our culture right now and cultural icons in our society will say that stuff all the time. They don't want to, if you've got a you know, four million person audience, you don't want to offend any of them by telling them the truth about something. So you just say whatever might be you know, pleasing to their ears, right? We have itching ears. We want to hear what, uh, what we want to hear and not necessarily what the truth is sometimes. So... Um, you know, that's, that's just how it goes. Our society has difficult with the doctrine of exclusivity. We've talked about that a lot. And that really is the main basis for our Christian faith. It's an exclusive club. We're a unique people. We're peculiar. We're a bunch of oddballs because we come out here and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which, by the way, he's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And so when people argue with you about these sort of things, you've got to remind them they're arguing with Jesus' words, not with you. We're just delivering a message here. We're not the ones that are, that are the cause of the problem. Jesus himself made the claim, and I just, just phrased that out and everything. Exclusivity is the exact opposite of inclusivity, and we talked about that the other day too. You run a race, 200 people in the race, one winner, but everybody gets a trophy, right? Because that's the world that we live in right now. It's got to be all-inclusive. Everybody can do this. Everybody can do that, and, and we're all on an equal playing field, and really, there's just no truth in that until everybody accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, then we're on an equal playing field in, as brothers and sisters in Christ. When witnessing, be very careful to point out as Jesus' words that they're, they're arguing about, if that's a uh, uh, point there. And then here's another one of the objections. 
I believe in God. And we went through and we kind of paraphrased and talked a little bit about how, yeah, everybody believes in God, but do they believe in the one true God? Do they believe in the one God that you can can uh, uh, look into the scripture and find out that he became flesh and dwelt among us, died on a cross. Is that the God that they believe in or are they believing in a bunch of other things that uh, really are going to be a straight path to hell when they, when they finally die? There's one true God and that's Jesus himself. Amen. Remember what it says in uh, John 14, 7, we talked about this. If he had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. He's talking to the disciples here, talking about uh, the fact that he is God. And if you're seeing me right now, you're seeing God. Many people will say that they believe in God, but what that means is they believe in a God, little g. God's based on, on man's view. We talked about how men always like things that are palatable. If, it's, if it pleases your ears and it looks like a really great thing and there's not any consequence to what you're doing, then that's the one that I'm going to be involved with. Sign me up for that faith. Sign me up for that. But the faith that you have to, to uh, separate yourself from the world, if you, if you set forth on my path and you turn around and look back, you're not fit to follow me. You're not, that, that's, that's pretty tough. That's a hard thing to get involved with, Sarah. So men will reject that and go to, go to the easy path, right? So we, we want to keep that in mind when we're talking to people. We have an opportunity in every case to simply point to the scripture, mention that the person you're witnessing to, that they're rejecting the word, not our words, but Christ's words. And then um, uh, today, those pesky objections lesson will continue with another objection. So that's the overview of what we, a recap of what we've done here. And then the next one we're starting on here is this one right here. I have been hurt by the church. Now, that's a pretty common thing that you can, you can hear. I ran across a very interesting story here, and some of you guys, you might know about this already, but it was kind of intriguing. And when I, 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 don't, I don't even know if this story is true or not, but I kind of have an inkling that it is. I had, I've heard it talked about on several different radio shows and what have you. I looked it up on the internet. You can believe everything on the internet, right? There's nothing out there that's a falsehood. But there are several kind of iterations of this thing. But this fellow right here was the guy that I think actually did this. From what I've been able to come up with, this is the fellow that did it. This is an article from May 16th of 2017 was when, when this was written. And there was this pastor named Jeremiah Stepek. And he transformed himself into a homeless person and went to the 10,000-member church that he was to be introduced as the head pastor that very morning. Anybody ever heard this? Anybody ever heard this story? Yeah, it's really cool. And when you see the, when you see the YouTube, like where they made a movie of this all happening, if you're not sitting there crying like a baby, you don't have a heart because it was a beautiful thing to see what happened with this church here. Not with this guy's church, but in the movie that, that they did about it here. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while it was filling with people for service. Only three people out of the seven to 10,000 people even said hi to him. Now I watch people come into this church and I see all kinds of people say hi to people. As a matter of fact, um, when we came in here, it wasn't just a hi, it was a, 
Come on in and help us do some work. And we're having a fish fry tomorrow. And come on over and meet these people and see our path. And I'm like, wow, I think we've got the right church here. And then when I found out you were using King James only Bible, I said to Patty, we've got it. This is our home. And then the next morning, Sunday morning, it was confirmed to us in only a way that God could, could put it in that path. I never dreamed when we first met Gary and Brenda that night that I'd be standing up here teaching a Sunday school at this church. But God has different plans for all of our lives. He asked, what's that? No, you said you never thought we was coming back. I remember that whole, yeah, I know. We were anxious to get back, but it was a long commute. It was a long commute from Cleveland, Ohio down here every Sunday morning to come to church. He asked people for change to buy food. No one in the church gave him any change. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. Boy, now that sounds like a, that sounds like a story we've heard in the Bible, right? Amen. He greeted people to be greeted back with stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such. When all that was done, the elders went up and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepek. The congregation looked around, clapping with joy and anticipation. The homeless man sitting in the back stood up and started walking down the aisle. The clapping stopped with all eyes on him. He walked up to the altar and took the microphone from the elders, who, by the way, they were in on the whole prank here, and paused for a moment. Then he recited this right here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance and kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, he looked towards the congregation and told them all what he experienced that morning. Many began to cry and many heads were bowed in shame. He then said, today, listen to this carefully, folks. Today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. Well... The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become a disciple? He then dismissed the service until next week. Following the footsteps of Jesus Christ should be more than just talk. It ought to be a lifestyle that others around you can love about you and share in. And that was four years ago. Now I guess that was 2017. It's, that comment, I guess, was made four years ago, 2017 there. How long ago has that been now? That's coming, up on, uh, that's coming up on seven years ago now. We're in 2024 already. And that's kind of amazing in and of itself. All right. Church members can be cruel sometimes. Hope none of us are cruel to anybody around here. I haven't uh, witnessed any of that yet. 
So people can be completely unaware of the effect of their words on new Christians, and more importantly, people that we're dealing with in a lot of cases during this kind of a conversation is non-Christian folks. We joke about ownership of pews to sit in, but sometimes, remember, we'll ask guests to actually move to a different place. I've never ever seen that happen in a church before, but I have, I've heard pastors say that that's definitely, I've heard people talk about they're literally almost get to be fights in a church over who's sitting in what. I mean, that's pretty pathetic, really, when you, when you think about it. Pastor Tom has a story he'd like to share with us here. Pastor, he was a pastor in St. Petersburg, uh, Florida. People show up in all sorts of attire. He remembers a young man walking in what looks like he just washed in off the beach out there, right? Young surfer guy. Barefoot, ragged t-shirt, torn shorts, and his hair was a tangled mop. Tom was proud of how his congregation welcomed this young man, and their attitude led many people to being saved in that very church because of just how people treated this stranger that came in. Sadly, too many non-Christians have stories of being hurt in churches. You know, at our church up in Cleveland there, it was a rather large church. And you had people come in there dressed in all kinds of stuff. And uh, we, didn't have a, we didn't have any kind of dress code or anything, except, unless you were doing some work for the church. Then you had to have a suit and a you know, tie and stuff like that when you were doing it. And... Uh, um, but boy, people would, people would be in that church and you'd be sitting behind some of them and they didn't have enough clothes on to, they might as well have been naked sitting in there. It's very, very distracting to be sitting behind a woman, particularly for a guy like me, to, to be in that condition. And then you, and then, and, and Pastor was very adamant about the fact he would never say anything to those folks, all right? But when they kept coming to church, pretty soon you seen the dress changing. You seen a change in their heart. You seen a change. And then they'd come in there, and they were modestly dressed, beautiful women, young ladies, you know, men, same way. You'd see men come in there and all kinds of stuff, and it's like, dude, really? What, did you just get off of a bulldozer that you were driving this morning and come in here, you know? And then you'd see those guys that start changing, and they'd have a suit. The Lord works, works in different people's lives differently. But that, that outward appearance and that transformation is a wonderful thing to see in people, no question about it. Anyways, uh, he gets into all these different things. You have a great opportunity by, for witnessing by treating someone well who's been hurt by a church or an individual Christian in the past. So that's probably more like what we would probably run into. You don't get a lot of hurting people in a church like this because of something the church has necessarily done. But you can run into people that say, yeah, I've been around Christians before and uh, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. That's what a Christian is all about. I don't want anything to, to do with that. And so uh, what it says here, and this is another underlined thing here, be humble about that and apologizing to them, which will demonstrate Christ's presence in your own life. Yeah, listen, we're no perfect people in any of these churches. We're only forgiven sinners. And, uh, you know, a, a little phrase that a friend of mine told me, and I probably mentioned this to you guys he, he mentioned to me one time when I was going through a particular difficulty, not with a Christian man, but with just a secular, probably one of the customers or something we had up here. He told me, he says, Jeff, you always remember, the best of men are men at best. All right, we all have our faults. We all have our flaws. We have all kinds of, all kinds of different things that go on in our life. And even though we're trying to walk as perfect Christians, we are not the end of our sanctification process, so we have these troubles in our life, and we can be pretty, we can be pretty obnoxious sometimes, really, if the truth were, were going to be stated here. 
A similar objection is that the church is full of hypocrites. You ever heard that? I've heard that. Yeah, there's a bunch of hypocrites over in that church. Yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> come over and come over and be an addition to the to the congregation here. We could use more hypocrites in the church. That's exactly what we need, because Jesus will take your life and He'll change you from one of being a hypocrite 100 percent of the time to maybe only being a hypocrite five percent of the time if you're that if you're that fortunate. You can use the same response. You might add that you're one of those people at times. Being honest will open doors to witnessing. How can, here's another objection. How can I believe the Bible is true? Many forms of this suggestion could be just asking that question or other similar. Doesn't the Bible have a lot of errors? People will ask those kind of questions. How do you deal with the contradictions in the Bible? Yeah, the contradictions in the Bible. There's a, uh, that, one, that one has probably been, uh, I've probably been in more discussions about contradictions in the Bible than, than uh, any of the other things. I mean, most people, will, most people will ask you a question about, well, doesn't the Bible have a lot of errors? Well, that's just purely by speculation. You can tell the people very easily, well, I haven't found any errors in it in the, in the five times that I've read through the entire book or whatever, you know, or have been sitting under preaching. I haven't found any errors in it and what have you. But there, there are some people that will know just enough about this Bible to be dangerous, and they might have even had some people point out contradictions. And where I personally have run into discussions about contradictions in the Bible, it is 100% of the time in mind, it's because the, the thing hasn't been put in the right context. They read one verse out of the Bible, and, and that's, see, here's what it says, and over here in this gospel, it says this, and back over here, yeah, well, read, read you know, at least three or four verses ahead and behind that, and it'll take care of all the contradictions that you have, uh, you know, dwelling in your mind here about this. How can you say the writers wrote a perfect book? Well, it's easy. Here's the next question along those same lines. Weren't all the writers just fallible humans? The answer to that question is yes, they were. I could have been the guy writing the book, and it would have been as fouled up as it would have been if all the other people that wrote the book would have been it, except they were guided by the Holy Spirit. The scripture is inspired scripture. Their hands moved by the Holy Ghost that told them what to write and everything. So, um, yeah, we're all just fallible human beings. How did they write a perfect book? Because they had God's hand behind it. They had God's blessing on the, on the book. It was God writing the book and them moving the pen while it happened. Objection could be about specific verses or stories in the Bible. A lot of that kind of stuff. Who believes in the... Who believes in a great worldwide flood and everything? That's a fairy tale, and we tell our kids all that. And there's comic books and little kids' children's play sets about Noah's Ark and all that kind of stuff. Those things, in a lot of cases, those books and those little play sets and stuff, if you ever get in there and you start looking at them and read them, those things are from the pit of hell is where they come from because what they start doing is they start talking about all the fact that this really is what happened, and this happened because of evolution. And it they don't say anything about what the worldwide flood was actually all about. Now, of course, uh, mostly because of answers in Genesis and Ken Ham and a lot of his work, there is all kinds of stuff out there, just scientific, tangible. You don't have to believe one word of the Bible. You can go to a museum and you can look at it, and there is tangible, secular evidence that what happened on this earth was a worldwide flood, just like the Bible says about it. And I've witnessed things from airplanes at 45,000 feet that you look down on this landscape that we have here, and rivers 
flowing uphill, and now because of the erosion and everything, they all go this way, but at some point they were all going this direction. How do rivers flow uphill if this was all because of anything other than a worldwide flood where that stuff washed off and it was all going this way at one point, and then yeah, maybe over the next several thousand years maybe or something, it eroded, and now the Colorado River runs this direction. But when you view this from different angles, you can see because of the way that water does, the way tributaries flow and all this kind of stuff, that it ran two different directions at one point. The only answer for that is there was a flood running off and that's how all this stuff got. Why are there trees fossilized upside down in, in rock walls and stuff now? Well, that doesn't happen because the tree grew that way, right? And it died and fossilized. It, it happened because there was some catastrophic thing, we'll call it a worldwide flood, that called, caused all that to happen. Anyways, um, the uh, volume's been written about this stuff, uh, specific Bible verses, and about statistical and historical truth of the Bible. All kinds of things out there. The more science looks at disproving the Bible, the more they find out that they're actually proving what the Bible says. It's a beautiful thing. I love to see the way God works in those people's lives and how some of them even come to know Christ as their Savior because they just finally realize that, uh, you know what, all this stuff that we've been thinking about here, everything I learned in that college class over there, it might all be incorrect based on what we're finding out now. All kinds of apologetics books and media have been published to defend our faith, but rarely do these need to be referenced when you're actually witnessing. People that voice these type of objection, objections are just trying to deflect the conversation. Yeah, they might be a little bit uncomfortable with it, so they start asking you questions and maybe they don't think you're smart enough to answer on any kind of a scientific level. I know on a lot of scientific levels I'm not smart enough to answer, but I am smart enough to go and point back to the scripture, which is what we want. And God, the author of the scripture, he's smart enough to deal with the scientific things, and he can do that through the Holy Spirit in those particular people's lives. You may run across these type of objections from educated types in a college town. Yeah, people that have higher education, they really are the most difficult people to, uh, to witness to, with one exception. People that are steeped in a false religion, they're really the hardest ones that are to, to witness to. My personal, um, my personal uh, experience with that is trying to witness to Catholics. Boy, they're, they're, they're tough. They, they just, they believe what they're, Catholicism says and their catechisms and what the priest says and all this stuff and they really don't want to hear anything about forget all of that garbage and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, I can show you how to do that. Most often you'll find uh, yourself dealing with people who have serious questions, serious concerns, and serious interests. Those are the folks that you want to deal with and take time with because they're the ones that you are not casting your pearls before swine with. People that just want to have arguments Dust your feet off, go off and deal with somebody else. And you'll run across those people occasionally. Not as much in Texas here as there are in other uh, places in our country. It's okay not to have an immediate answer for their questions, but promise you'll research and then get back to them. Keep in mind that while this is going on, God is preparing his field for the harvest. Keep in mind, folks, when you're witnessing to people, handing out a track, talking, having a conversation with somebody, the only reason why that's happening at the time 
is because God has set it up. You're supposed to be there doing it. And, and how you handle it is just a matter of obedience and a matter of maybe some of the things that you're learning in the class here and everything. But God's already preparing his field for the harvest and he might need to take you and set you over in that field for a little bit to do some counseling and to do some talking and to hand out some literature maybe. You should always be prepared, as we're reminded in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We should all be students of God's word. And then there's a uh, uh, story here by, by Tom Rainer. This is another one of these things that he writes in his, in his thing that just is an encouraging way when you're, when you're dealing with these people. He had, a, um, he had a man that he was, and I think he was a co-worker, a man he had witnessed to who was extremely challenging with multiple in-depth questions. By the way, um, you may, if you, ever, if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness come and knock on your door, all right, those kids, they know the Bible frontwards and backwards, but they only know the Bible frontwards and backwards, the part that they're taught and what is scripted. And if you derail them and get them off their script, you can, you can witness to them and they can start giving some uh, very interesting and very perceived and very evident thought to what you're, what you're saying. Don't invite them into your house for a cup of tea. The Bible says we're not supposed to entertain those folks. Don't have them in and sit and listen to all their stuff that they're going to uh, you know, try to tell you about. But they, they can be challenging because they, they learn. They get taught here. If you're talking to a regular Christian, one of these crazy Christian people, ask them these kind of questions and they won't know the answers. Well, if you know God's word and you know the scripture, you might not know exactly the answer to the question they've asked, but you will know some scripture that will deflect it. And then you can get a good conversation going in the direction of leading them to Christ uh, just, just, just because you know the scripture. Anyway, um, so this guy, he had all these multiple in-depth questions. He really pushed Tom's buttons by in, in, interspersing profanity between his questions. And if, if you're just sitting here reading the book, Tom writes down there that, that uh, he knew the guy was just testing him, just pushing his buttons, trying to get him aggravated and what have you. And then Tom says here he prayed and he asked for the Lord to maintain a Christ-like disposition while working with this guy. Anyway, ended up going their separate ways. You know, sayonara, that's it. See you later. Good luck with your new job or whatever. Many years later, in God's providential way, they were both living in the same city again. All right, jobs, whatever, however that happens. The man asked Tom for a meeting. Called him up. Hey, Tom, I want to have a meeting with you. 30 minutes of small talk and catching up, and then the man got to the point. He wanted what Tom had. He wanted Jesus. Amen. So separated a little bit, gone away for a little while. Maybe some things came up in his life. Maybe some things that Tom had talked to him about early on. There was a seed planet. Somebody may have come along and watered that seed. Now the guy turns around, living in the same city as Tom Rainer again, calls him up. Hey, I'd like to come over and, uh, like to come over and talk to you here about, about this Jesus that you've always told me about and that I was so obnoxious in, in uh, um, re rejecting what you were saying. Right there in Tom's family room, he became a follower of Christ. Wow, that's pretty cool. So you, you sow a seed, somebody else comes along and waters it, and then you get to reap the harvest. Isn't that a, isn't that a great way for, for it to work? The point, always be ready to defend the faith. Study diligently. 
meditate on God's word, understand that on this side of eternity, we don't have all the answers and state it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Everybody knows this, this uh, uh, scripture here. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. All right, the conclusion of this whole mess, we're actually going to finish up the, the lesson here this morning, maybe before the first bell even rings. Um, the conclusion, we should be prayerful and prepared. The world's watching us, folks. The world's watching. We've been under a, we've been under a 2x microscope here for a long time, looking at what these Christians are all about and what they're doing. That's turned into, here in the last five years, it's turned into about a 5, a 7x micro. They're looking real close at what we're doing now. Um, it's not too far over the horizon. It's going to be a 10x microscope where they're going to be able to see. And not only see, but be very interested, and not from a, not from a spiritual standpoint, but be very interested from a how are these Christians screwing up what we're trying to get accomplished standpoint. They're going to be watching every move that we make as Christians. The time is drawing near where we are going to end up being persecuted just like the people in the Bible did, just like back in the old days, just like people all around this globe are already. Probably somebody getting their head lopped off right this second somewhere on this planet because they will not denounce Jesus Christ. They won't, they won't say what they want them to say. Hopefully we have the boldness and the courage, but we get looked at. People look at Christians. There are more gospel opportunities than we realize. Yeah, that's true. The, the, the Bible says that the, the field is, is white for harvest. But the world is looking to us Christians to first show love. Yeah, you got to do that. Well, they always do. Everybody looks to God. As soon as there's a catastrophe, we're, everybody's praying for you. We're praying about this. Our thoughts and prayers go out. You know, people on TV, these uh, news heads, these talking heads on TV, when they say that stuff, sometimes I look at them and I wonder, because of other stuff I've heard them say, is how much praying have they actually done for anybody, including themselves even sometimes, you know? That's the greatest gospel conversation that you can have, just showing love. Paul sums it up perfectly in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. All right, anybody have any questions, comments, concerns before we close up? All right, so here's your assignment. I want you to practice witnessing with another Christian like a spouse or other family member and see if you can have them offer, offer up some opposition. That might just be a kind of a role-playing game you can do with husbands and wives if you don't have a wife or a husband, what, however that works in your life right now. Just get a fellow Christian, see if you can do a little role-playing there. It'll either, it'll either cause you and your wife to sleep in separate beds that night, <laughs> right? Or you'll have a good dialogue and you'll be, able to, uh, you'll be able to get a little practice time in. But I hope that you, uh, I hope you have an opportunity here to do a little bit of witnessing to people over the next couple of weeks. We only have about, I think, two more weeks to go on this, on this lesson and then you guys will be rid of me up here harping about witnessing and telling people about the Lord and all this kind of stuff and, and reminding you that that really is our responsibility to do that. It's not an optional thing. It's not an option.
taxes, paying taxes in our country are not an option. They do have loopholes and they do have ways around some of the stuff. As long as you stay within the confines of the law, you're not gonna get in any trouble. But there's no loopholes here. This does not have loopholes. God says, go out and tell people. Christians, go out and tell people. So that's what, uh, what means we want to get to here. All right. All right. I think we're in good shape here time-wise. Let's just have a word of prayer and we'll get, we'll get over to the next service. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us. We just ask now that you'd be with Pastor as he comes and brings us a message this morning. Lord, work in our hearts and our lives. Soften our hearts, our minds, our lives. Give us the right posture to find application for your scripture in our lives, Lord, that we would be a shining light on a hill that can't be hiding from anybody and that we would be a, uh, a good testimony as we go about our daily lives in the workplace, at our homes, in the restaurants, in the marketplace, wherever we happen to be. Lord, be with us, follow us, guide us, give us your strength and your wisdom as we conclude the day. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.